Let me tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. Nah, 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 come on! We have a very special guest, my guy Jake Fisher. Uh, he's an author. Folks don't know, he's written books. Uh, he's the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. I think that tanking, we'll talk about this another time, but like owners that just try to lose, I just can't stand it. I really can't. Uh, he okay. also is a newsbreaker, newsmaker. Uh, works for, currently works for Bleacher Report, has worked for SI, has worked for SB Nation. Actually got his start at the Boston Globe, which I did not know until okay. today. You're very, very big J. Yeah, very big J journalist, Jake Fisher, uh, making some moves, <laughs> making some moves. Bust out on the scene, Jake Fisher, out of fucking nowhere, too. Just all of a sudden, <laughs> breaking huge news. Welcome to the show, Jake Fisher. That is a very kind intro. Um, you know, I'd like to think I was like around for a long time. You know, I was, I was picking away with my axe at Slam and SI, but then you know, all of a sudden, we got thrust into this transaction world. So we're trying to make it work. You know, how did you get into it? Because I feel like you don't just break. I mean, it's not easy to just all of a sudden be developing yeah. the relationships where you break news is, did that come from so this built to lose how the nba's tanking era changed the league forever did the relationships through that sourcing of that book end up lead you on this path was it like break down how you got here yeah. uh as like cogently as possible <laughs> well first of all thank you for the very seamless and organic plugs of the book title multiple times my publisher <laughs> was very thankful for that um, but to answer your question, and it's, it's funny, it's honestly the question I, I typically get the most when I, when I do talk on shows such as these. Um, but I mean, at SI for years, I was writing all these dumb, silly features that people wanted to talk about. Like I, I got coffee with Mike D'Antoni one day at like 7am downtown in Fidei at the Starbucks because apparently he is addicted to... Starbucks cappuccinos, it's the only thing that is like close to resembling his time in Milan or all over Italy when he was playing and coaching there professionally. And like stuff like, I mean, there's a lot down the list of those types of like personality type stories. And I got to know people in the league by being someone who wasn't trying to call them about very pressing details such as the ones I'm doing now. Um, but flash forward, I got laid off by Sports Illustrated in October 2019, when the company got taken over by new management, leadership, whatever. Um, 
unfortunately, my editor at Bleach Report, Chris Trenchard, um, I had a relationship with him just being in the industry for a couple years, and he was letting me freelance there. I did some stuff. Like, I remember I did a story about Trey Young before his All-Star game, how he was, like, hanging out with Chris Paul as, like, a high school kid and going to Kevin Durant's apartment to watch TNT Thursday night games when he was 16, 17 years old. Um I did some feature after the um, pandemic began about how the teams gearing up to go to the bubble were instead of high instead of high fiving they were like tapping each other's feet and sneakers to try to like avoid the germification of you know COVID and everything. Um, and then 2021, beginning of that year, um, my editor Chris said, you know, we kind of need to go away from the freelance stuff and, and the feature writing that you prefer to do. Um, we want to go into this more transactional game. So to bring a, a long ramble cl- to a close, I wanted to do it in a way that was storytelling, though. So um, I do try to write a story every week and something that I feel like we we go back and forth a lot on the edits about trying to what's like relevant, like what's going to be aggregated. And like I am trying to interweave those juicy tidbits within ultimately context and, and the context just becomes what I think is more of a, a narrative in, in the you know day-to-day game of, of this transaction uh, beast. So how do you get to the point where people are all wanting to answer your calls like as a new kid on the block because I feel like all yeah. the things that you were doing and the relationships that you built from feature writing now it's like hey by the way like I'm I'm just uh, another one of those um those uh news news leeches <laughs> I need info and yeah. I need it now I mean the leech thing is funny like I do address the elephant in the room and kind of make fun of it myself when I'm hanging out with people, you know, off the record. I mean, a, a lot of people do still I got at dinner with a bunch of people a week and a half ago, 2 weeks ago, whatever the, the dates were, um down in New Orleans and some guy kept kind of saying like, you know, Jake's here, like am I going to be some unnamed source? I think you kind of have to steer into that and like recognize the elephant in the room, but also I, I mean I've known a lot of these people now for over you know, almost a decade. I, I kind of really started covering the league at the 2013 draft. So it's been it's been a long time for, for a lot of these guys. Um, people of late, like whenever I meet someone new, fortunately I've found the last six to eight, nine months or so, people kind of know me more now. So when it's, a, when it's an introduction, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I know what you do. Um, and that, that obviously is a pretty nice lubricant to create um, a dialogue and a communication. But to get people to give me the info for, as to answer your question, like what I do is just I mean, when, I, when I got the kind of quote unquote offer or the, the positional shift push from my editor, I called like 10, 15 guys in the league that I knew had access to info that I had been talking with for years and said, hey, would you mind if I just did this once a week and started badgering you? Like, I know it's going to be annoying, but I promise it'll be like, we'll have a good time with it. You know, like we're friends or at least we've have, we have some type of relationship. And, um, that's kind of where it got started. And every week I make those calls or, you know, and that, that, that list has grown and shrunk and some people fall in and out because of what you write or because of what their boss now doesn't want them to be saying to you. Um, but I think, you know, with like the Tib story this week, I just had heard that very loosely and then very more strongly. And then like, I finally gathered all my intel and brought it to the highest ranking people that I could 
that would truly know, and they kind of confirm or deny the little details, and then we write something up and move on to the next uh, the next week. Awesome. That's that's really interesting. I guess if you're bringing it out into the forefront and saying like, hey. I'm going to be scheduling out my times to pester you and to badger you. That's, and then they agree. They kind of know what they're signing up for, especially since you're, yeah. you've got a pre-existing relationship. What are the, the do's and don'ts of news breaking? <laughs> like what are things that um, get you cut off from this business? And what are ways that you think like help you be successful? That's a great question. Um, you know, and I will say also to kind of bridge us to the last question too. Now, also, like people know that I and 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 for and it's not just me, obviously. I think every everything. I think I'm talking in terms of my approach. I can't speak to that. That's what everyone else is approaching. Sure, of as course, well, that's kind of sort of implied. For sure, but in terms of like the role that I can play, in terms of like not the article, but the actual conversations. Like there are many. There's a lot of people in the media side of things, but. Um, when you have access to information that is considered proprietary in terms of the NBA world, you know teams do want to know what I know. Like there's a lot of people who, like, I can help connect the dot to create. You know, so I'm not saying like I, I'm taking credit for a transaction happening, but that's. I mean, it's not just me. Again, to, this is what the role that we can provide as a collective of you know the reporter in the NBA ecosystem like that's why at the end of the day people have a, a general incentive to talk and i think recognizing that is the biggest to to bring us to your second question i think that's the biggest thing to have in your in your quiver when you're going into these conversations like if you if you go into it as oh yeah i am just a pest and i'm just coming to be annoying to you like that works, I think, to show like humility and 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 the human aspect of the conversation you're having. But if I call someone who like an agent of a player who is requesting a trade or a general manager, I'm talking about that team's trade conversations. Like, you need to, I think, also kind of hold yourself with an authority and that like you have a purpose for that call because people will try to bully you and walk over you and lie to you and try to not help you. But if you if you present things, I think in a respectful way, in a professional way, in a way that to not sound too corny, like means business, I think people will respect that ultimately, and they'll they'll recognize and understand if your story's coming out, um, you know, their perspective and what they can help to try to shift it in a way that might even benefit them. Um, it's also your job to be thinking all the time what these people's motivations are and where they're hoping to get the story to be and why they might be saying that or where they might know that information from. Um, there's a lot of like second guessing I think you have to do in your head all the time to try to separate the fact from the fiction because the NBA is, I'm sure the NFL and baseball are very similar, but the NBA ecosystem is very much rooted in rumor. And a lot of it isn't true, but a lot of it is coming from something that is true. So if you can peel back through all the bullshit and figure out the truth, you can kind of write something and, and write some tea leaves to things that are going to happen when, you know, then ultimately they do get reported someday. Are there, are there things you should not do? Like, say you're at that dinner. Like, do those people uh -huh. yeah. do become unnamed sources if they're sort of casually mentioning that? Or is that the first breadcrumb that you end up using to then go in a more formal basis to say, okay, like I can go and call up a contact and, and confirm yeah. this to be the case? 
Well, the general don't do's, I mean, like if you are going to be a narc, like if everything people say to you is going to be written publicly or you're going to be then spewing it and telling everyone that you talk to, like no one's going to want to talk to you anymore. I mean, there, there's a fine line between like obviously when I'm talking to people, like everything I'm hearing is ultimately coloring my overall understanding to make my stories more accurate and more authentic and more knowledgeable. But at the same time, like you can write something that's very honestly damning about someone or a team, but also kind of leaving out a lot of details that might not necessarily be necessary or might not be confirmed, but you can kind of characterize them in ways that also can help a relationship continue, but also are still being fair and critical at the same time. Like I think there is a balance in that. Um, and I think to, to your second part of that question, like how do you switch, make that switch flip to someone you can call? I mean, to me, like anybody is someone I can call, like, especially coming from the perspective of like to do my job as well as I can, I'm trying to get as much of the truth as I can. And the best way to do that is to talk to literally everybody. So if that's the case, then I, I can call everybody in terms of someone who I know wants to talk and whisper and everyone wants to talk about other people, right? Those people that I can have those powwows with on a semi-weekly basis. You can tell pretty quickly right away. Sometimes people are very straight up about it, kind of like out of a TV show. And, you know, I can help you, you can help me. Like, here's my card, let's stay in touch. Like, sometimes that is very, it is very, like, there's a, it's kind of like on a date where you're having a good conversation all of a sudden the conversation switches and you're like, okay, like, I'm probably going to kiss this person now. Obviously, the metaphor is... Whatever, but right. it, it is very similar. It really is. Interesting. Uh, you talked about a couple of things. You talked about the Tibbs news. That, that's been fascinating, too. We'll switch gears now into kind of like the brass tacks, I guess, of the NBA Teague because uh, I think everyone's been wanting to know what's going on with the Knicks. Everyone's wanting to know how could uh, a new management team come in, hand-select the guy, that guy end up winning Coach of the Year, taking a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in God knows how long to the four seed, getting home court advantage, obviously flaming out to a team that overperformed, right? And then a year later, after a lot of the moves that he wanted the, the management to make did not get made, guys that come in that are very clearly not Tibbs guys, uh, mm -hmm. like not defensive guys, say like Evan Fournier, say like Kemba Walker, and then a couple of key injuries, how one could see that management team who hand-selected Tibbs going away from, from him and firing him so early on in his contract. Can you just kind of shed light on that evolution and then how, like, maybe this team and how they've been performing late changes, maybe the, the trajectory of where they go with Tibbs? Yeah, I, I think ultimately, from, from my understanding, I don't think his job ever really was in jeopardy, being that, as I wrote yesterday and as I'll definitely say now, like, it seems pretty clear Leon Rose has never had any intention of, of making a change at his bench. And, and honestly, I've kind of dipped off Twitter a bit in the New York world for the last couple of weeks, months. Like when I put that story out, I was honestly genuinely surprised how many Knicks fans were not happy with that news. Um, being that I think, I mean, I, I live here in Brooklyn, like <laughs> a couple months, a couple months ago, I mean, that bing bong night feels very, very, very recent, right? And that was still so fresh off that playoff run. And that even after they flamed out with Atlanta, like the garden was back, the city was rocking, and like 
Tibbs was the guy. And it's really crazy how quickly the fans can sh uh, shift gears. And it, it's important because in a city like New York and in many cities, when, when, when the fans turn the tide to some degree that loudly, it can absolutely get back to ownership, which changes the direction of what management wants to do, sometimes for worse. And I think it is important to, to recognize here that as much as James Dolan's gotten his flack over the years, I do think what I've heard, and, and it's been pretty consistent over my career, he seems to give um, his management free reign to do as they do please, which is what, what I reported this week, that basically the word I got was that, um, you know, ownership, I don't know if it was Dolan specifically, but gave permission, you know, do what you want. If you want to keep him, great. If you don't, find a new guy, that's fine too. Um, so th that's at least interesting, but that also maybe might not be interesting at all, being that that's obviously just generally how it's gone. I think to the roster point of it all, that's kind of been the biggest dynamic, I think, and also being that time and again, even last year, like during the regular season, teams that would lose to Minnesota, excuse me, lose to um, the Knicks. Like I remember Minnesota one time I was talking to some guys on that staff at, after they lost to the Knicks and they were saying like they beat you up and were playing four and five nights and they don't like there are nights where you want to let, let go of the rope because it's just the Tim's defense coming at you and the shortened year COVID, you know, shortness with these weird roster crunches and all that type of stuff. They, they claw their way to the four seed. Julius Randle has his career year that a lot of people in the Knicks organization were already saying back then, this is not going to be replicable. There are people with the Knicks at the time who were, I mean, and, and still to this day in, in New York, who were saying that, you know, he's not worth that contract. We should even consider looking to trade him at that deadline. That conversation happened. I definitely have written this. But they never really did like, really entertain that. The, Julius was their guy they wanted to reward. He was the kind of focal point that was going to lift them continually to the playoffs and maybe someone like Dame was going to want to come, right? That was kind of the goal. And obviously we are not there right now. So I recognize why fans would want to have a drastic change here, but but everything I've heard, it seems like coach and front office are still generally on the same page and they recognize the roster is flawed. They've got things to adjust and, and really restructure this summer. I do think they're going to try to be very active in doing so. I don't want to say that there's going to be a lot of activity, though, definitively because they seem very destined to do that at the deadline. And as I wrote also yesterday, the way the Knicks apparently operate as a front office in these negotiations, they get a little picky. And they, I mean, no pun intended, but they really want extra draft picks all the time and all these deals. And it's apparently led to a lot of these trade talks falling apart. So if that continues in the offseason, I wonder how successful they actually will be in really retooling this roster. Do you think agents, um, like as a general rule, make great front office members? Because <laughs> it feels like agents want to just... And you've got yeah. a bunch of a bunch of examples of it not being great. You got one example, obviously, of it going really well with Bob Myers and Golden State. But like, it feels like agents always want to squeeze out every yeah. last drop that they can to the detriment yeah. of maybe harmony between the fraternity <laughs> in the NBA. And now you've got guys coming from CAA, right? Leon Rose yeah. has been doing this a long time. Worldwide West who I consider sort of like 
from above the clouds. Like you don't. He's got a, a like a tower, a tower like villain, like castle in the sky, and above he's like looking bridge. down. Yes, and like nobody really sees him or knows what he's up to, but he's kind of got his fingers and everything. Like, do you think that that that's something that we're gonna see moving forward? Do you think that actually like makes sense? I mean, the no, I don't, um, and <laughs> I don't want to speak like so definitively on it because a the Lakers, I mean, Rob Palenka won a championship, and it's only been. It's only been less than two. It's it's been two years since Leon took over in, in New York. Um, so, if I learned anything, like over my years covering team building and the book reporting, um, you know, I think um, it's it's important to consider the fact that like a lot of times something happens for good for good and for and for bad that you didn't expect to happen, and all of a sudden, like you're Memphis and you have John Morant and you're set for the next decade, right? So, like if the Knicks somehow win the number one pick this year, right? Like, wow, the, the garden looks a lot different, you know? So, like, I don't want to definitively say that the and, – and the Lakers, of course, like we already talked about, won a title and they still got LeBron. Like, they got a lot of options on, on the table this summer. Like, who's to say what those guys can't continue to accomplish? But it's – there's definitely – it hasn't seemed to be a smooth process and a smooth transition being that they, both those tenures have clearly been riddled with drama and a little bit of chaos and confusion and deals falling short and again the lakers won the title but like at the time of the anthony davis trade and still today people on the league always talk about that being an overpay and that david griffin did a pretty solid job in getting a strong haul when like there was no other option like he wanted to go to the lakers the lakers wanted him like they i mean they didn't they didn't really have a need and and you know they did stuff to kind of sabotage Boston being a um, a real player to go trade for him and stuff like that. Like there was no need for the Lakers to have to have paid that much, but they did. And so you take your hat off to the Pelicans, but also you, you raise an eyebrow a bit at the Lakers for that. So um, to answer your question, it's just I think a lot of these teams want to bring on these player rep type guys, these Nike people, to try to you know play this player movement game, but. The, the the apparel game and the agent game to sign players sometimes it's just about how much money you can give them and in the NBA everyone can pay each other the same amount and the incumbent team can pay them more so when so now like in this you know no holds barred game like you're all of a sudden stripped of your biggest weapon how good are you as an operator now it's that, I think that's what it really comes down to yeah you mentioned David Griffin's kind of led me to my next thought around the Knicks and I guess where we're at with a team that all of a sudden has gone from being very, very bad to being like much better than we expected them to be in the Pelicans to the point where I wonder whether a guy who's, you know, had like a Sam Bowie career so far, a Greg Oden-like career so far in terms of the amount of t- games that he's played and a lot of that being spurred by issues with conditioning and his weight, and that's obviously Zion, right? So, like, if you're the Pelicans and if you're the Knicks, you know, what happens to, like, in your, what what you've kind of talked about and seen, like, what do you think happens to Zion? I mean, what I've learned is that predicting the next revolution of that situation is a fool's errand, but um, I, I do think, 
I mean, the, the, the overall context right now is that they're, they're hurtling towards this extension, right? And, you know, will he take the qualifying offer? No one's ever done it, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I, I think I'd be, I'd be surprised if that didn't happen, right? Like, it's very, it's, it'd be historic for him to do so. And this season has only made his, you know, you just mentioned Sam Bowie and, uh, and Greg Oden, right? Like, if I'm Zion Williamson, I'm taking as much money as I can get right now, guaranteed long term. <laughs> I mean, I think that would be conventional wisdom at this point, right? So that's the case when that clearly benefits New Orleans to some degree if they want to even continue to be building around him, which people have posed. But come on, like when this guy's been healthy, he's been what you why you took Greg Oden and, Zion, and Sam Bowie at, at number one or number two, whatever, wherever Sam Bowie went. So um, it's like it's it seems thorny, but at the end of the day, like – they built this team now with C.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram and Jonas Valanciunas is having a career season and they've got these young wing pieces. Herb Jones might be like one of the better rookie. I mean, him and Matisse Tybel just came in of late and I've been like two of the, the greatest defensive rookie wings like of all time, literally. Um, so you, you throw those guys in and I mean, they seem to be a team that should absolutely be right with Minnesota in terms of like the back half of these like young up and coming playoff teams now. So honestly, this could be a situation I think where we look back on again, the health is, is obviously the massive uh, big question mark, but you know, we, we were having those conversations about Joel Embiid at some point too. And, and look where Philadelphia is. So if Zion can have a similar bounce back and obviously different injuries, different people, different circumstances, um, you know, who's to say the Pelicans can't be, if they make the the post uh, the play-in tournament, like that'll be a quote-unquote postseason appearance. Like, who's to say they can't be back in the postseason next season and even raised up a little bit level uh, with Zion in, in the fold? Like, I think that's very much on the table still. Uh, you mentioned also, you and you wrote about this recently, is all this Lakers drama. I don't know where they go. Like, I'm just thinking about, I talked about this on the podcast earlier this week. And, like, I'm probably more on the, like, on the cynical alarmist side. Um, that's probably mm-hmm. why I would be a horrible newsbreaker. Because I just see, like, tea leaves in a way. And I'm very skeptical. You've got only three ways you can really make moves, right? You've got the draft, which they don't have no damn draft picks. You've got <laughs> free agency, but they don't have any cap space. And then you've got trades, right? And then you have to have assets, obviously, to make a deal and to trade that matches salaries and that it makes sense for people. And a lot of times draft picks come in to those trades, which is a very, like you said, thorny situation is probably uh, the best way or the most like optimistic way to say it. To me, it only feels like there's one real asset that makes, that has any likelihood, even if it's very little. Like I think Russ obviously is, is difficult to trade. That's a negative trade asset right now, given all of the low lights that we're seeing. I mean, guys are just making fun of him out there. Like they're just literally clowning him in the media, on Twitter, on the court, in press conferences. The amount of money is obscene. Like to me, it feels like the only real asset to make this team better if you actually want to win a championship is to trade Anthony Davis. It's the only piece that you have. Am I wrong to believe that that's really the only asset that could be moved for something of value? Well, I do think that, I mean, Taylor Horton Tucker was involved in a lot of conversations at the deadline. Um, and, you know, as I put in that Nick story, to, to, to be very synergetic here, 
Um, I do think that three-team deal with Toronto and New York would have gone down if the Knicks didn't. Um, and that's what I've heard from from several accounts, that, that the Knicks asking for more draft capital was what ultimately had that deal fall short. So I, I do think Talon still has his fans around the league. Um, I mean, Malik Monk will definitely to, not to be... And to recap playing. for folks who... For recap for folks who didn't read the uh, article, what was the deal? Um, I'm going to botch it completely off the top of my head, but it was definitely Taylor Horton Tucker and Nerlens Noel would have been in Toronto. Um, Alec Burks and Cam Reddish, I believe, would have gone to the Lakers and Goran Dragic and at least the Raptors' first-round pick, that package that went to Toronto, would have gone to New York. And the, and the Knicks, from what I was told, was were looking for, for more picks after that. Um, so... I mean, it wouldn't have been a dramatic increase for the Lakers, I don't think. I mean, Alec Burks would have been a nice little ball-handling addition, but, I mean, to what degree Cam Reddish, I, I don't I don't know what he is really in, in terms of a consistent rotation player. I don't think anyone really does, honestly. And that's why he wanted to get traded out of Atlanta, right, to have that type of consistent playing time. So um, to bring it back to the Lakers, like, I don't know how much that would have done for them and, and – the Anthony Davis thing, when I wrote a, a big takeout thing on the Lakers two, three weeks ago, I was surprised to see Lakers fans' reactions, how many of them wanted them, them to look into trading idea. I was. I don't think that's even remotely going to be considered um, from, from everything I've been told. And not just for the clutch dynamic of it all, um, but I just think like they traded all that stuff to New Orleans that we talked about to pair LeBron and Anthony Davis together. And I, when they were healthy and really consistent, they won the title. So, I mean, people with the Lakers still talk about right now to this day, maybe it's changed in the last three days or so, but they're still, they're still singing the same tune of if we're, if we're healthy, no one's going to want to see us all that jazz. So, I, I mean, if they can pull some magic this summer with a deadline trade or whatever, um, you know, a draft type trade or whatever, I'm not so sure. Um, to me, with the bronze extension thing coming up, I've been saying this in, in conversations with people on the league the last couple of days. I, I wonder how him and his people will respond if they hear this podcast. But if I'm LeBron, I'm taking a pay cut. I think that would dramatically help the Lakers situation and help them add flexibility. I mean, Brady did that in New England. I believe he did it in Tampa Bay. Uh, I think Peyton Manning did it in Denver. Like, honestly, that guy, and take you take your hat off to him for building a, a global entity around himself. He's a billionaire. So, you know, we're all whispering about what team he's going to ultimately try to buy. Is it going to be this potential Vegas, you know, um, addition or, or another team that, like, which team could get sold upcoming here? Um, like, if that's the case... Why does he need the max? Like, why can't he? Why can't he take 10, 15 million and create maybe even a max space to go sign somebody to come join them? You know, like that's honestly something that I think should be talked about. If I'm in the Lakers world, I don't know if it's any, if that's possible at all, but I do know that I, I think it's very unlikely Anthony Davis gets moved. Yeah, because it feels like that's the only other option too, right? When you talk about roster construction. And how much money they're spending, and they've got a bunch of guys on minimum contracts, and that's just not getting it done. I think if you're honest with yourself and you truly actually want a ring and you want to get more championships, which is kind of the whole goal of this, not just to yeah. have a bunch of clutch clients playing with one another in purple and gold, to because to, <laughs> there's a lot of people who are going to throw shade at Anthony Davis 
for that ring because they're calling it the A Disney like bubble ring, right? To have a legitimate <laughs> ring in an 82 game season when you're on the road and have no asterisks yeah. around it, there's got to be something. Oh, um, yeah, I don't think that that's being considered considered right now. There, yeah, I mean, it's not well, me who's saying that, but there's there's fans who call it the asterisk break. Yeah, they do. Um, I'm not saying that. Please, uh, <laughs> I'm don't not get, saying it either. I'm not saying it either. But no, I think I'm not. I mean, I understand why. Being that ultimately he has not performed to that degree since the bubble. Like it's it's been clear. I mean, T.J. Warren hasn't either. Um, I mean, the Suns no. I think are the only team that's really like bottle up what they had down there and took it. I mean, Miami's kind of back being number one seed in the East, right? But um, yeah, it, it, the bubble was an interesting subnote or footnote in the subtext of, of NBA history. Definitely interesting. For sure. And when you're 28 and your nickname is Street Clothes and you've got Achilles tendinosis, which is a degenerative condition, it's very difficult. It's a precarious You're talking spot. about me or AD because I am 28 with Achilles tendinosis. So. <laughs> Are you really? <laughs> What do what is newsbreaker Jake Fisher and Anthony yeah, Davis? Yeah, uh, two yeah, guys that are twenty-eight. I play pickup. A lot of downward dog before I play pickup. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying that the real the only way, I guess, that the, the Lakers can actually make a real title run is for LeBron to take a pay cut. I'm not saying the only way, but I think it would help them a lot. I think that would clearly give them a lot more flexibility. You did a piece on Zach Levine, um, Mm -hmm. another guy who I think is playing out of his mind when healthy. Chicago, awesome. Definitely beneficiaries of the Lakers being cheap uh, and not wanting to pay Alex Caruso. Yeah. I mean, they are. They are. I mean, watch as a very quick aside, watching winning time, which is causing obviously a lot of stirs uh, for people who are living in historical land. Yeah, I you saw did? I saw the pilot at All Star, and I mean in in the author community, you know Jeff Perlman is a is a is a whale of in the sports world. Yep. So I shot him a DM after the um after the premiere, and I said, or I, don't, I guess it was like a soft premiere. I said, this is gonna be this is gonna be big, and he <laughs> said, thank you, man. Like like why do you, like blah, blah, blah. it's definitely yeah, they, they they do not pull any punches in that storytelling. That is for sure. No, people, I, I hit up some people that covered the league during that era, uh, and they were not happy. They said they would not watch it. They were not happy with the historical uh, storytelling. Some of the details around, of course, Jerry West, were people were very upset mm-hmm. about. So, um, but when, I, when yeah. I watched it, though, I think the thing that stuck out was how committed Dr. Buss was to making a team, mm-hmm. to making a team a contender no matter what. And I said when I watched yeah. episode one, two, he would roll in his grave with this Alex Caruso stuff. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, no, I mean, look, a constant thing you hear in, in conversations around the NBA is that it all starts with ownership, right? And, like, I mean, Mark Cuban is, you know, considered to be this really competitive, bloodthirsty, wannabe champion. I'm not saying he's want to be cha- he's a champion, he won a championship, but someone yeah. who wants to be a champion at year after year after year, there are teams who aren't, right? Mark Cuban doesn't pay the tax. Like, I mean, I'm not saying I, I mean he's proven a willingness to do so when it came up, but like there are there, there are a few teams like Golden State 
and Brooklyn that are paying absorbent amounts of tax every single year to go to go get this done. I mean, the Clippers are obviously going to continue to spend and spend and spend. It's it's it, it's a real factor in you know this arms race that ultimately the title end up, ends up becoming. Do you think Chicago falls into that because uh, they haven't in the past been excited about uh, overpaying mm-hmm. or paying fair value over the course of history, even when they had Michael Jordan, right? Um, and yeah. now Zach Levine has made it very clear to the world, not just last year, but this year, I'm a max player. I'm not going yeah. to accept less than the very maximum that I can make. Yeah. Um, and now he's getting like PRP in his knee. He's got inflammation in his knee and you're paying a shitload of money to everyone, including Booch. Like, what do you, <laughs> Yeah. do you think there's well, any possibility? You did a, an awesome feature on him too, by the way. I like that piece a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it was a rare opportunity of the last two years to actually sit down with a player face to face and have a conversation. It was what, what a novel concept. Um, it was, I mean, that's something I really miss. And I think it's one part of that, this whole transaction world that I'd be curious what my job would be like if I was then, you know, going to someone that shoot around and saying, Hey, uh, this is what I'm hearing about. Yeah. And get their point. But, um, he's been very clear, like you've said that, I mean, he, he clearly views himself as one of these top guys and he, and he has performed as such. I think, you know, the bulls have obviously made move after move after move to kind of win now and build a thing around him to get him into the postseason to show him they're a place to stick around with. But also at the time, like a couple of years ago, they also wanted to see him in that environment and see if he could get to that level. I think that question, those questions have already been solved and clearly they're throwing out three year, 80 million plus deals to DeMar DeRozan in his thirties. Like they're willing to spend the Lonzo contract. Um, I mean, Levine's deal is going to be well over $200 million, regardless of if he gets that all NBA team. Um, Vooch's contract comes off the books, I believe, after next season. And they're already starting to, I mean, any smart front office is, is doing this. They're already starting to kind of hash um, some backup plans and who could we maybe bring in, who could be a backup for him next year, but could be the starter after, like that type of stuff. I mean, I, I think our Taurus Karnasovas up top and from Mark Eversley on down, like that, that staff is, is pretty filled out with people who are highly respected around the league. Um, and our Taurus comes from Denver most recently, um, Houston before that, you know, teams that really combine all, all facets of the team building dynamics where, you know, the draft is important. Trade and free agency is important. They really flex their muscles in all three of those categories um, in their tenure there. So, I mean, the IO pick of, of late obviously stands out to me recently. Um, and, uh, I mean, Patrick Williams is someone that they kind of targeted pretty quickly, and he, he's a darling around the league. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, if, if the success comes, like clearly they've shown a ceiling now, we'll have to see when they're fully healthy in the postseason. If, and if this team at least wins one round, like I think obviously the excitement in Chicago from where the team's been of late will be – pretty significant if they can continue to, to move forward and that they can continue to be a, a real threat in the east which i mean everyone in the, in the east that i talk to in terms of executives and coaches among those top teams they view chicago as as dangerous a threat as anybody so if, if that continues i think the bulls will pay yeah yeah it's interesting too because they might end up having to play boston in the first round and boston is a buzzsaw right now 
that is a series I think a lot of people want to see. And maybe at, at that point your expectations are just compete on a very high level with Boston, given the fact that we haven't been healthy healthy all year. Um, I'm hearing there's takes. I'm hearing there's some Jake ta- Jake's takes. Um, you're not just a newsbreaker. You're not just a newsmaker. <laughs> you have opinions, which is probably incredibly difficult in this space. We've talked about this before. Uh, yeah. I, I lead with takes, and then it's usually substantiated by <laughs> mostly like things, very little things that I hear, and a lot of Jake Fisher-type reporting. So <laughs> I just remember all the things that you've written uh, over the course of time and and those uh, and those prior to you. You're very good on the show, just dropping my dossier throughout the whole the whole time here. So you did your homework, clearly. You know, here's the thing. I respect the hell out of you. When you came out, the one thing that I would say that, as just a quick aside, that is the yeah. most suspect thing you've ever written mm-hmm. is when there was clearly a hit piece being uh, written about uh, Nate Bjorkren. It wasn't yours, but you could tell yeah. it was like there was some stuff going on behind the scenes to like take them out. And do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, so my recollection of that was that I mean, the, around the deadline, the talk was starting that, like, oh, the Nate Bjorken thing in, in Indy's bad. And I remember telling my editor, like, I don't want to be the bad guy. Like, I don't want to be the first person to say this guy's going to get fired after a year for being, yep. by all accounts, a lunatic. I mean, yep. I don't want to. I mean, that's, that's what everyone was saying, you know? So <laughs> I knew that other people, let's say, weren't going to write the full details. Um, and yes, there is a series of events where one person tweeted something out very briefly on Monday night, and then another story came out on Tuesday um, that had a little bit more details, and then my story came out on Wednesday that was like 2,000 words about it. <laughs> those details that I had, I had been working on quietly, and honestly, I will say, seeing Tim Cato... Um, and Sam Amick write the Dallas stuff about Haralabob before all that whole situation blew up. That honestly pushed me. I was like, man, I should I should have just written that Bjorken stuff first. And it definitely got. I mean, it took all in a, a life. But yes, continue yeah. with whatever you were you were. Anyway, <laughs> but you're not uh, you're not just a a, a newsbreaker, a newsmaker. I'm hearing that there are takes, so you come <laughs> prepared with things, the opinions. Um, we don't know which direction that they're going, so I'm just going to kind of like, what are some some things that grind your gears that you um, have some strong opinions about around the NBA? All right, this is they're all general, but and this is this first one's not that controversial, but we got to get rid of the block charge. It is the dumbest rule possible. It's not a basketball play. When I play basketball as a 28 year old with Achilles tendinosis, no one's taking a charge. Because no one wants to get hurt because we're not getting paid for it. And you know what? The game is fine and it's better. And we don't have to worry about like when you're driving and then you pass it to someone in the corner and then you no longer have the ball in your hands and you take two steps because you have momentum and you just run into someone who's just standing there. That's not a that's not a foul. That's just someone <laughs> walking in front of you wanting to get hit. Like that's not that guy who's doing that should go play football or lacrosse. That's not what basketball is. That's my first take. I'm gonna I like keep that. going, or you got you yeah, got. I'm. I actually like that take. I think it's super whack, especially down the stretch. Like when mm-hmm. you see guys very clearly, they're planning to kick out, and then they make contact. 
I don't think that should be a block or a charge. Like I hate it when it's a block more because yeah. it's like you just it's like I don't I don't know why this guy's getting credit for this at all whatsoever. Block. Um so yeah, I agree. I agree. There's there's another uh rules change. Is this the second one a rules change? Um No, this is an take? NBA okay. branding thought. All right. All the jerseys, all the jerseys it's it's gotten to a point where it's horrific. Like Really, really bad. I actually, I, I found out. Yes, I found out recently um, that in a G League game, two teams walked out, both wearing white jerseys. Lately, like, I mean, we're just we're in this situation where like every team gets five new jerseys every year. The Heat had this like weird thing where, and the and the Cavs too, where every letter is different from the other Looks one. Looks like a ransom like, note. This is an obvious money grab. Yeah. yeah, it looks like a ransom note. It's an obvious money grab. I think it really ruins like cultural um, development of like a pride thing with that team because you don't like. I remember when I was visiting college campuses in high school, like my guidance counselor said, like when you're walking around the schools that are always wearing their like their their like school stuff, like that's how you know the people there are, like happy and like their school. So, like, if you're walking around town and, like, I don't know. When I see orange, I don't, like, just orange and, like, black. Like, I don't necessarily think Nick. Maybe that's a bad example. I don't know. But, like, the, the, the Timberwolves lime green jerseys are an eyesore. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. How about the, the blue don't have ones? Anything. They're, like, the terrible. Yeah. So, yeah, the cream just, city? I'm over all the jerseys. Maybe. Yeah, maybe have just like one new one every year, or like one alternate, one new alternate, and like one holiday. Whether it's like they're on Christmas or like those St. Patty Day's jerseys that used to come up, like those Green Bulls ones. Like maybe that, or like, and you wear your Christmas jersey not just on Christmas, like a couple of like the Christmas season, you know, time, and maybe there's like, like you know, the, the Hawks have a cool MLK Day jersey. Maybe there's like a, a one holiday that every team has. Or maybe the Heat and the Suns and teams and who all do the the Latin American you know Heritage Night jerseys that have pretty high Latin American populations in their cities. Like maybe that's their alternate, but we the don't we, we can't have five six alternates every year. Can't have it. It's too much. I it's hate the, the digital. I saw this digital the digital paisanos. On the floor at Chase Center. It's a digital ad on the floor, digital. And it's, okay. was it for the yeah. NBC Sports Washington Wizards versus Warriors? And it was a Wizards, it was like a DC Italian restaurant. Probably paid 10 bucks hmm. for that ad, max. And, and like when you walk over it, your feet go, go digital too. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. That should not be okay. It first happened get rid in the bubble. It first happened in the bubble because they had to do that for all the local RSNs. That's, but they only had like three courts. Yeah, no, it's. And I remember Kia was advertising on the playoffs, but they changed their logo. And I, I remember me and my roommate trying to figure out what the company was because we couldn't re like recognize the new Kia logo, which I think is obviously the opposite of what advertising's goal is. <laughs> And team take. You have a team take? Um, I do, but I have one more other one quickly. Okay. When a, when All right. There should be a stat when you drive to the basket and it's like you get by somebody, not like 
you're just there. Like you actually make a move, you create an opportunity for yourself, and you miss, but someone then has an easy putback. There should be a stat for that. I checked with a couple analytics friends on the league. There is not. That should be a registered accounted skill. What do you think that would be called? Like a No idea. Like a like miss a drive assist? assist? Yeah, drive yeah. assist. Yeah, a miss assist. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you could add that in like like whip in baseball. Yeah. And my team take is that I think the Celtics are a legitimate contender to win the title. What a hot take that is. What a hot take. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's that hot, but they're forty yeah. no, it's not. They're forty to forty to one to win it all right now. They are pretty blown away by how good they are. Like I'm pretty yeah. blown away by how good they are. I was I mean, yeah. There was all this talk in December, oh, it's not going well. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, one's getting traded, and now it's like, wow, the Celtics are a juggernaut. That team's not going anywhere. Everyone's untouchable. Like it's it's changed pretty quickly. It's crazy how fast like Marcus Smart's return into that lineup, who was mm-hmm. Essentially a liability offensively a ton. Just his return, like they just all of a sudden just started sharing the ball a lot. They, they're playing elite, elite defense. I want to say like top two defense in the league since that time yeah. period. Um, just clamping teams. Uh, I, I don't actually know what happened. Uh, maybe just integrating the things that Ime wanted to do and they actually just started executing it. Maybe yeah. making a couple of moves, you know, with Derek White, obviously that helps, and the emergence of Robert Williams. It, it went from, you know, it, what, it, what it led me to believe is, how, like, or think about is how many teams are are closer than we think to being good. Hmm. Because they were That's a really, disaster. <laughs> they were a disaster. They were a I disaster mean, last year, for sure. I think, and like Al Horford, I didn't think he would be helpful really either. He's been great. I think. Yeah. I think ultimately that that like what is the the recipe to springing into success after being pretty poop is to have talent, and that's ultimately why we're in this league where the Sixers are trading Ben Simmons for James Harden, and teams are tanking, and you know Russell Westbrook's getting traded to the Lakers, and all that stuff because like when you have all stars who are playing at the peak of their powers, like. Stuff just gets done, and they've got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and Tatum clearly looks like to be taking even another leap as a general offensive, you know, central hub of a team, and the defense surrounding that has been what it's been. Jalen Brown is still an all-star level player. Derek White addition, Marcus Smart, like, it's just the same thing with Phoenix, right? Like, Devin Booker took that leap, and they they bring on Chris Paul, and here they are. Like, it's not really that surprising, I think, when you've got talent and depth and defense and shooting. Yeah. Uh, I can't let you go before I uh, ask you my resident Brooklyn Nets. Okay. Will, will we see Kyrie play home games? Because it doesn't feel right now, based on the laws uh, needing mm-hmm. to change, that we will. And two, like, how concerning is everything going on with Ben Simmons' back, given his injury history? Yeah. Um the back, obviously, you know, I think people were looking at it skeptically at first as like, oh, it's just a reason to not play in that March 10th game. I mean, it's something that's plagued him back to Philly. And from what I was told by someone very close to the situation, if, as long as they're telling me the truth, this will be accurate, that he was on the court with Nash going well, and then he tweaked something, and it's been, it's been a, it was a setback, essentially. 
Um, and that's why that these teams always talk about, you know, ramping up, ramping up. Like, I, I really don't think it's bullshit. Like, I think teams take, the, like, working out, playing with Deontay Christmas in a high school gym is like, they take that very differently than NBA game action, and as they should. Um, so I'm not sure where his status stands right now. I haven't checked in with anybody about it recently, but the last I was told was that like they really do only truly want him to be ready for April. Um, so I think that calculus clearly won't, won't and will not change that. They just want to be as cautious and safe as they can in terms of ramping him back up to playing because yeah, I don't know if Kyrie Irving is going to be able to play home games this year at this point, you know, the city, I, I mean, there's starting to be this discussion of, oh, well, the Yankees, will they, will them, them coming back, will that have an, an added boost to, you know, Kyrie's plight here of trying to make a special exemption, quote unquote, for him or for anybody? Um, but I mean, the city just fired over a thousand more employees over not uh, getting the vaccine. Um, and I mean, lifting the mask mandate is way different than lifting the vaccine mandate. Um, I think. The mask mandate being lifted was part of like the goal of the city to encourage people to get vaccinated, to try to urge us back more to normalcy. So I, I, I was starting to think that, oh, yeah, now that Kyrie's go, pulling the stunt and going, and which was a stunt. Like, I'm not saying that in a, any derogative way. Like it was, a, it was a stunt to go to the guard or the, the Bar- Barclays Center and sit courtside and be maskless as a well-known unvaccinated person. Um so I guess I don't know what the vaccine requirement situation is. If he was allowed in with, I don't. It's the whole thing is obviously so murky. But um, I, I just I don't think anything is going to change in terms of what the city and the mayor are going to do to allow him to play basketball games anytime soon. If Brooklyn continues to go further into the playoffs that they're playing in May and June somehow with him only going um at away games maybe that can change but at this point like i don't think there's any optimism that's gonna that's gonna happen anytime in the near future wow yeah that's that's interesting because they were optimistic at one point because i think they thought that when the vaccination requirements changed for visit for visiting like for visitors for people who came Mm -hmm. in to watch the game um that that would change for him as well and then, obviously, visiting teams that are non, non-vaccinated can play as well. So the logic doesn't necessarily really correlate to the fact that a whole law has to change and thousands of people are being let go because of said law. And if you change the law, then what do you do with those people? Yeah, and he's a millionaire who really theoretically could change this by just getting the shot so and i'm, I'm not going to tell anyone to do what yeah. they should, i'm not going to tell anyone to do what they what to do but um that's a clear easy solution if the nets and Kyrie do want him to play home games yeah well awesome stuff we got you out in the time period that uh i was hoping to get it out under you're always insightful go. we got to do this more you know here here's yeah. let's test this out so jake i would like to um I don't, I don't have any interest in breaking any news, but I would like to um, regularly pester you. Is it okay if I call yeah. you on the phone? We have some regularly pestering type conversations. Is that, yeah. is that okay with you? Let's do it. Let's do it. I, All right. I think right. we spent some time creating a, the commensurate uh, relationship to do that. I enjoy talking with you. Let, let's catch up. Awesome.
Thanks so much to Jake Fisher. Definitely check his book out, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Also, if you want to find him on Twitter, he's Jake L. Fisher with a C, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. So definitely check him out there. Not as much of an active tweeter as as I would like, (laughs) um, but he is a writer as well. So check his work out on Bleacher Report, uh, and we'll definitely have to have you on again soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.